0: This is Community Bible Study Lesson number 30. Uh, The last two chapters of Genesis, 49 and 50, the deaths of Jacob and Joseph. Well, class, we have um, read through, studied the book of Genesis. And when we began, it was God was creating. He created out of the dust of the ground, man, he spoke to the patriarchs, you know, we have Noah, we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now we come to uh, the last of the patriarchs, Jacob, um, who is dying. He's about to die, and We're looking back on what he is leaving behind to his sons, to his families, to future generations, what he is handing down, what what is the legacy that he leaves behind, what is the foundation that is being laid here in the end of Genesis for future generations to stand on. And it's faith in God's word that it is true. He leaves a firm foundation of faith here. As a matter of fact, when it comes to the end of this chapter, um, the book, the word bury, there's 12 different times uh, some uh, tense of the word bury is used. So from the ground of creation and dust to to burying, we have this journey, um, laying a foundation for, for not just the sons of Jacob, but for us, future generations for us. So we're going to take a look at these last two chapters here on our last day of this study um, as we close it out. And we see that Jacob in chapter 49, verse 1, has called his sons together. Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. He's going to inform them on the plan, on what's going to happen. This is the first declared prophecy that came through a man that's recorded in scripture. And it's like not it's like a not a predestination but in a way yes this is gonna happen but they also are going to make choices through their lives to uh validate these things and it's in here not to get us thinking like oh my life is locked in and I'm not making any choices. No, it's in here these prophetic blessings are in here and we're gonna take a look on how they have been fulfilled to reassure us to validate the truth of scripture, that it does, it is fulfilled. And that because these prophetic blessings of these sons of Jacob were fulfilled and played out and, and, and laid that, helped lay that foundation of our faith, we can have confidence that the rest of the prophecies of scripture, uh, the, uh, handful that are left in revelation and in times in, um, for the future will also unfold. So what's going to happen to these guys? In chap- in verse 2, it says, oh, Jacob refers to himself with both as Jacob and as Israel, re- referencing both of his names, realizing that he is battling against the man, the Jacob, And realizing what God has made him in the man Israel, a chosen people, a called out, uh, sons of Jacob, of of the human race that's fallen, and the children of faith, um, faith in the words of God, being Israel is your father. So it's this conflict that we're seeing that Jacob is passing on that knowledge that we also see in, in Romans 7. Remember Paul talked about in Romans 7. I do what I don't want to do and what I do do I, I, I don't want to do. And that conflict that's inside of him. And when it gets down to verse 21, Paul says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, And then chapter 8 of Romans goes on to talk about what we focus on and the the whole thing is about the renewing of the mind. So even here, back here, Jacob on his deathbed is telling his sons, passing it on to that generation and to us, there is a conflict. There is a Jacob and then there is an Israel that lives within us. Um, Good stuff. Right from the very beginning we see that. So let's take a look at these. 12 sons. Um, he starts with Reuben, the oldest, and I'm not going to read it all just for um, time's sake. Um, I might read some of them. Um, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water. That's <laughs> pretty unstable, unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Jacob did not forget the sin that Reuben did. Um, he may have been forgiven, but it certainly knocked him out of having a, a, that firstborn leadership uh, role um, in, his, in the family. So Reuben's tribe never did excel. There was no prophet. There was no judge, no king that ever came from the tribe of Reuben. It's kind of an example of what's talked about in Matthew 19, where the the first will be last. And Spurgeon says this, so a man may have great opportunities and yet lose them. Uncontrolled passions may make him very little who otherwise might have been great. So there's choices that we make in life. I mean, there's the potential there to do good and choices can knock those things out and we lose blessings and um, standard and Uh, reputation with that. Then Jacob goes on and he combines both Simeon and Levi together here and he says, Simeon and Levi are brothers, weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. Oh my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men and in their willingness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger for it is fierce and their wrath for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Again, Jacob and Israel, when we get to that blessing, we'll see that one was a negative and one was a positive. But here we have the their problem was anger. They had a real problem with anger. And there's a difference between godly anger and sin, sinful anger. Theirs was a sinful, self-centered, self-willed anger. Um, a hatred that came a revenge that happened Simeon became uh very small during the wilderness wanderings he started out in numbers chapter 1 verse 23 with you know just over 59,000 men uh, men able to fight They started out that way, and some 35 years later, at the second wilderness census of Israel, they had diminished by over 50% of who they were, and they became the smallest tribe. In Numbers 26, verse 14, we see that their count was only 22,000, a little over 22,000. So he started to diminish, divided. For Levi, because of their faithfulness during the rebellion of the golden calf, in Exodus 32, chapters 26 to 28, we see that um, Moses, when he stood there after coming down off the mountain and they had made this golden calf, Moses stood at the gate uh, and said, okay, those who want to stand with God, with the Lord, cross over the line, And, and and Levi's tribe was the one's the first just kind of step over that line and say that they would stand. And so they were blessed because of that. And so they were scattered, though, as a blessing throughout the whole nation of Israel, um, Levites, the priests. And then they received no large tract of land for the Lord was their inheritance in Joshua thirteen thirty three, So from Levi, we can see that the priest line, the Le- Levites came from that. So divided and scattered with that. And we saw we see in, you know, future, um, in history that that unfolded. Judah is the fourth son. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Now, Judah, we know, um, is from the, Jesus' line comes from that. He has the messianic line there. And this tribe of Judah will be a ruling position. They will rule among the other tribes, and eventually the kings of Israel would come from Judah. And ultimately, Jesus Christ, God's ultimate leader, the lion of the tribe of Judah, Revelation five five, will come from, from Judah's um, family. And we kind of wonder, well, what happened to Joseph? Joseph was the one that I believe Jacob had his eye on to be, you know, the one that blessings are going to come through and stuff. Um, Wasn't Joseph Jacob's favorite? Yes. But there's a verse in Psalm, Psalm 78, verse 67, that says this. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, which was Joseph's son, but he chose the tribe of Judah. And then dropping down... He chose David as his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes. To brought, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hands. So here in Psalm 78, we see reference to twice where God did not choose the, um, the oldest, the, the firstborn, uh, other man's favorite David wasn't the firstborn. He was the scrawny little red-headed shepherd kid that was out watching sheep when um, Sam, Simeon came to um, to find um, the next king for Israel. Uh, so, so God rejected uh, Joseph, the tent of Joseph, but that didn't mean that he didn't bless him or love him or make him into a great nation. These were just for the messianic line. So... Judah here is blessed and and with things, and um, the scepter will not depart from you, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Then we go on to Zebulun, a haven for ships. And when he went to Zebulun, he skipped over and went to, um, you know, to the 10th and 9th sons. He's kind of going through Leah's kids first, and he's going to come back and get um, Rachel's children. So Zebulun is uh, the haven for ships. He settled the land, this tribe settled the land between the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee. They were a tribe that was very faithful to David when he was king, supplying the largest number of soldiers to David's army. We see in 1 Chronicles twelve thirty-three. 33, O Zebulon, there were 50,000 who went out to battle, expert in war with all weapons of war, stout-hearted men who could keep ranks." Next, we go to Ishikar. He's made a reference to him as a strong donkey. Ishikar was strong, but docile and lazy. Donkeys can be very hesitant, and if they don't want to do it, you know, kind of they're not going to do it. They're not going to put forth a whole lot of effort. So Ishikar's tribe would enjoy good land that was assigned to him, but they would not really strive to keep it. They wouldn't fight for it. So what happened to um, Ishikar's tribe is that they would be conquered, kind of, and pressed into servitude by the people who took over their lands, kind of like a donkey, a beast of burden. Next we have Dan, who shall be judge of his people. Through Dan's uh, tribe, we, there were many judges that, that came out most notably was Samson. Then there's a bit of a pause in what Jacob is saying in verse 18. He says, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. It's like a proclamation that Jacob is saying right in the middle of blessing his sons, that he's saying his legacy right there. And all the sons heard the cry of faith from his lips. Uh, he was dying, and yet his his he's proclaiming that he, the Lord will deliver them. Deliverance is from the Lord, not from his sons, not to put faith in anything that they can do, um, but but from God Almighty. Uh, right there in verse eighteen, a cry of one last time from this old man that deliverance is from the lord your salvation i wait for it O lord just crying out to god a beautiful statement in there he continues on then to bless gad he shall triumph at last he fights and loses battles throughout the history here but eventually in the end he will win ashner Asher is the land was good um talks about food shall be rich and he shall yield royal delicacy. So from the land, from the tribe of Ashler where they settle, there were many luxurious things that came out, um, high-end <laughs> um, necessities of life were produced from this tribe. Naphtali is a doe at loose, that bears beautiful fawns. That's kind of a poetic way of saying that he uses beautiful words. Kind of poetic, a little creative there. Maybe writings came from there. We know from Mark 4, verses 12 to 16, that much of Jesus' ministry took place in this region. So, just from that in the New Testament, we know that beautiful words, the words of Christ, came from that region. Okay. Then we go to the blessings of Rachel's children, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph is a fruitful bow. This was Jacob's favorite son. Um, And in these verses here, there's several verses attributed to the prophetic blessings of Joseph. You can see that, that Jacob just loved him, but also that he was a man that consistently and clearly Followed God, and therefore God blessed him greatly. In these these verses here, there are five titles of God that Jacob uses in reference to Joseph. And they're found in verses 24 by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel by the God of your Father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings from heavens above. Just blessings. Joseph was a man that, we're, that we've been studying is that pretty much set his sights on, on God and applying his word and trusting him and living through many trials, and it's evident. And here we see the blessings of God five different titles for God are referenced here and finally we have Benjamin who's a ravenous wolf was just making a reference to he's a tribe that has a reputation of being very fierce Um, so that ends the the Blessings that Jacob is bestowing on his 12 sons, who would become the 12 tribes of Israel, which will mass produce into a nation of millions. Verse 28 um, All these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. And then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. He knows he's going to die, and he knows he is going to be gathered to his people. He knows that he is not to be left in the land of Egypt. He had a, a faith, a belief that There was an eternal state. He was confident that his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham continued to live in this eternal state to be at rest or at sleep and that they would be gathered up together and he was to join them. Another statement of faith here. There were beautiful, beautiful, elegant tombs, magnificent tombs in Egypt that he could have been buried in. And he was so respected that Jacob could have been buried like a pharaoh there. But he wanted to be buried in a cave in Canaan, the land of promise. And this was a statement, uh, part of his legacy also, that his belief in the promises of God, that he was not going to weigh in with the earthly riches of Egypt, but was going to stick to God's promise of a future home a citizenship in another city, another country, like his grandfather Abraham talked about. So, verse 33, when Jacob finished commanding his sons to bring him back and to be buried in that cave, he breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Um, His life ended. The last great patriarch has died, and yet the work and the plan of God did not end. It carried on. He was gathered to his people, but God's work and unfolding plan of redemption headed toward that future hope that we still have to live eternally in the promised land of the new heaven and the new earth. This is the legacy that Jacob laid behind um, in his last dying breaths. Well, the last chapter here of Genesis, chapter 50, there's great grief in the loss of Jacob. Even though Joseph knew he would see his father again, he had that hope. He fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. and commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for Embalming and the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. Um, Again, we we see uh, that there is grief in death. Even Jesus wept when Lazarus died, even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead in just in a short period of time. But it's a grief over the consequences of sin, the loss um, that sin brings into. Our lives, and, and not just a physical death, but all the losses of fellowship, the losses of blessings, of, of joy, of peace of mind. Those losses also are grieved when sin enters our life. So there was great sorrow there as Joseph wept and kissed his father. Um, verse 4, And when the days of weeping for him were past, those 70 days Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh. It's interesting that he went to the household of Pharaoh. He didn't go to Pharaoh himself, he went to the household of Pharaoh. And he said, if now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak to the ears of Pharaoh saying, my father made me swear saying, I am about to die in my tomb that I have hewed out up for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father, and then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So this um, request was granted. Um, Joseph's solemn promise to his father that he would bury him in that cave. Pharaoh granted that to him. And this funeral that happens is just (laughs) spectacular there were many many witnesses that went so joseph went up to bury his father and with him went up all the servants of pharaoh the elders of his household and all the elders of the land of egypt as well as all the household of joseph his brothers and his father's household only their children and their flocks and their er herds were left in the land of goshen And they there went up with him, both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. This is a huge funeral. I mean, the mass of people that got together and with chariots and horses and walked and just went to bury this old man was phenomenal. Many times funerals are opportunities to share the gospel, aren't they? Um. Because people are really looking at their mortality and weighing in priorities in life, what's important or not. And so it is a time when the gospel is shared many times by the the pastor, the minister who's giving the service. So this was a witness, a testimony to his faith that he was going to go back to this land and they were gonna bury him there, dramatic burial. The entire clan gathered around to pay tribute to him. He was the last link, Jacob was the last link with the patriarchs. Jacob's grandfather overlapped with the sons of Noah. We're going back into time with this, into history with this. This was a notable funeral. And in this process, I believe there was a, a dedication to God Um, A rededication of the sons of Jacob to the God of Israel, the God of the great covenant. All this stuff was remembered and talked about and uh, grappled with and believed and it it strengthened, it undergirded their their, uh, faith because we know that their dedication to God would be tested over the next hundred years. So they can look back on this funeral, on what happened, um, and remember, recall the grandness of it and the reason for it, and that it stood on faith in God's word and the promise, the future promise that there was a better place and God was going to come and bring them there. So Jacob is buried in the cave in the field of Markpila. The sons had often disappointed their father. Um, but this is something that they did in verse 12. Thus the sons did for him as he had commanded and carried out, carried him out and buried him the way he requested of them. Um, this cave was the only part of the land that Abraham held the deed to. Again, a a reminder of The promises of God, the covenant of God. All right. Joseph buries his father um, and then returns to to the land. Um, After he had buried his father, in verse 14, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him, um, who had gone up to him to bury his father with him. So now what? Dad's gone. Uh, the brothers start to get a little worried about what might happen to them. Uh, you know, while Jacob was alive, he was probably the one that kept everything together and everybody under control. And now that he's gone, these brothers are now realizing that Joseph, this great leader in in Egypt, had the power and the... Uh, basically the justification to punish them. So they began to get fearful about now that Jacob's gone, is Joseph now going to punish us? Retaliation? They say, 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. They are freely acknowledging that they did evil. They are acknowledging what they did. And they worried about justice. Justice was due to them. And they feared this righteous retribution. Um, and with Joseph's power that he had, it could be pretty bad for these guys. So they talked amongst themselves and they decided to send a message to Joseph. They didn't go themselves. They send this messenger and they they probably made up this story saying, Your father, tell go and tell Joseph that. Quote, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sins because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. So these brothers make up the story that Jacob was had, was sending this message, almost Jacob sending this message from the grave here to tell Joseph, don't punish your that, your brothers, forgive them forgive their transgressions, please forgive them. And then the servant also says, please forgive them. And then we see that his brothers in verse 18 also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. So we see three layers of asking for forgiveness here. And finally, they come and fall on their faces. And once again, we have the fulfillment of that dream that Joseph had as a little boy his brothers falling on their faces before him. And this time in truly deep sorrow and repentance, maybe out of fear of what might happen. Um, Don't know. But it's a a beautiful picture of of forgiveness because they, you know, they should have been punished for it. Joseph um, sees their genuine display of humility in their plea but also he weeps um he weeps do not fear he says in verse 19 but Joseph said to them do not fear for i in in the place i am not in the place of god um well he wept for them before they came because i think he was um he got the message and he was weeping um because i think he was disappointed the fact that ugh, you know why didn't they know him well enough to know that that he loved them and he'd take care of them. He's already told them that not to be afraid of him that that he'll take care of them and he and he brought them here and he's been caring for them for the last 17 years. Um, but for so you think about that 17 years since they came into Egypt with Jacob had gone by and they still kind of had this underlying fear have they really been forgiven? Let me just pause here um, and say this. With forgiveness, a lot of times we get confused with the thought of, you know, again, we've talked about this before, not feeling like we're forgiven. And we have to put our mind over our heart and say, God has forgiven us. If we repent, he is faithful and just to forgive us to remove our sins from us. And we've got to tell our heart that, you know, because Satan wants to keep us all locked up and feeling guilty and hinder us and sorrowful and pitiful. But that's selfish. That is a a self-centeredness about, this is how I feel, so whatever. But the truth of the matter is, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. We are forgiven when we repent. Joseph is telling them that, it's not his job to punish them. Do not fear, for I am not in the place of God. You know, vengeance is God. Hold it out to them. It's our job to forgive people. We're commanded to forgive others who have harmed us. And if we don't, then we're sinning. And Joseph is saying that I'm, I'm not in the place to, to judge you. I'm not going to punish you like that, um, if God was going to punish you, he's going to use another way to do it, but it's not going to be him. Now, Joseph didn't romanticize what they had done wrong. He didn't say, oh, forget about it. You know, it's okay, whatever. He didn't say that. He said instead to them, 20, um, as for you, you meant evil against me. I know you did. I know you were. You hated me. I I, I remember back then. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. What great compassion. What a display of godly attributes there are there as he just um, loves them and reassures them. And um, yes, it was true that that they hated him back then and they meant evil for them they wanted to destroy him but it was a greater truth the greater truth was that god meant it for good ultimately our lives are not in the hands of of people they're in the hands of god god overrules all things for his glory and then we have romans eight twenty eight again we've got to understand that that Even though circumstances of our lives may be out of our control, they're not out of control. They may be out of our control, but they're not out of control because who controls it all? God controls it all. So we can't go on feelings or our understanding, our limited insight on things, our perception of things. It's really faith that we cling to knowing that God loves us and he is at work for our good and for his glory in all things. Joseph says, you know, that it's for his glory. He meant it for good. And the immediate good in this situation was this. If Jacob's family did not come to Egypt, we talked about this last week, It would have perished in the famine, or it would barely survive and probably be assimilated into the Canaanite tribes. It wouldn't be a pure tribe. But because they came to Egypt under whatever circumstances, these are just the one God used and probably to, again, display his glory and his uh, virtue of forgiveness and his powerful hand in all of it, this nation was developed and preserved and pure, um, and only by coming to Egypt in this situation could they grow into a distinct nation. So Joseph comforts his brothers, and he speaks kindly to them, and he shows them love through his words and through his actions by providing for them. Well, last little couple verses here of Genesis makes a record of joseph's death so joseph remained in egypt he and his father's house and he lived 110 years and joseph saw ephron's children of the third generation and the children also of maker the son of manassas were counted as joseph's own so he was blessed with a long life and and being a grandfather and a great grandfather Um, He enjoyed his children and his grandchildren and great-grandchildren. But he knew, he knew that this wasn't his home. He knew that eventually they were all headed back to Canaan. He says to them in verse 24, I am about to die, but God here, I love it. We have a, but God at the very end, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. What a great legacy that he kind of hitches his wagon to, to his forefathers, to the truth of God that had been passed down from them to Joseph. And he's now also saying to them, I believe this, this will happen. God will, but God will visit you and bring you back. And then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear saying, God will surely, God will, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. And we know that um, Exodus 13, is that where I want to, where did it go? 13, verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. When they exodus out of, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Um, As he lay dying, Joseph says, he confessed his faith and his trust in God. Although he himself, Joseph himself, never heard the voice of God, he believed In what his forefathers had told him. He believed in God's faithfulness to all generations passed down. This is an example to us. God is not going to speak audibly to us. It's already been written in his word and in the revelation of nature and the revelation of his written word. They are true. They are not to be messed with. And we pass these down. We live our lives believing in them. Verse 26, so Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Interesting how this book of Genesis ends. Um, His coffin was a silent witness for 400 years that they were going back to the promised land, just as God had said. All during that time, while they were in Egypt for four hundred years, when a child of Israel saw Joseph's waiting coffin and asked what it what it was, why was it there um, why was it not buried?" They would answer these children and say, "Because the great Joseph did not want to be buried in Egypt." But in the promised land, God will one day lead us to. This is a visual, concrete, living in the midst of the land of of Goshen there. This coffin, waiting to go back for 400 years. God placed this right amongst them to help them remember, to help them hold on to that promise. Well, Joseph lived a life of dramatic faith. Yet in the end, he was remembered as someone who trusted God's promise. Hebrews eleven twenty-two, our chapter of faith. Hebrews eleven, by faith, Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. That's how Joseph is referenced in that great chapter of faith, Hebrews 11. His faith was because he trusted God's promise to his people. It was a faith because It knew where God's people belonged. We don't belong here. We are foreigners here. We set our hopes to a future new heaven and new earth. It was faith because it looked to the future. We don't get caught up in the here and now and in in, in sheltering at home and lockdowns and all the things that are kind of (laughs) happening around us today. We look to the future It is faith because it proclaimed God's faithful promise in any possible way that it can, even through a dead man's bones. Even the bones of Joseph proclaimed the truth of God. What faith, what outstanding faith. So when Joseph died, he died looking forward to God's unfolding plan of redemption. The book of Genesis, it's a book of beginnings, and it's ending with the faith in God's promises, that his word is true. It ends with a looking forward to the continuation of God's eternal, loving, and wise plan. So we need to ask ourselves what legacy we will live behind. I think the your lesson ended that way also. Being aware of what will People remind, um, will they, how will we be remembered um, after we're gone? Will others identify us as someone who stood unwavering on the firm foundation of God's truth? Are we leaving a firm foundation of God's truth because of our actions and our lives and how we speak and live, that we really believe in God's word? Our struggle is between our Jacob and our Israel. Our flesh and our spirit. Sometimes the flesh is too strong, but you know what? God is faithful and just to forgive us when we confess our sins and repent and get back on track and continue to stand on that firm foundation of God's unwavering word. Well, thanks for joining us this year at Community Bible Study on this beautiful um, journey through the Book of Beginnings in Genesis. Right now I'm just taking my last little sticky note for my marker from as I move it through the book. And um, it's always sad when we end a book. Um, it's kind of an ambivalence there. We've learned a lot. Hopefully God has used this book to transform us more into the image of his son, to help us to stand more firm in who he is and not be affected by circumstances of life uh, we certainly have opportunities to live that out in what's going on today in the world. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word, for your faithfulness, for your power that has kept your word, the lives of these patriarchs, these people, in print to pass down from generation generation. This book has not been destroyed, although the attempt has been there many times, that you have preserved it, that you have written it on our hearts, and your Spirit is there to help us comprehend and to live it out. Give us the strength, the fortitude, the faith of those who have gone before us that we can continue to build on that foundation to future generations, to our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren that your word is true. You are a God of promise and may all things in our lives glorify you. Amen.